Hello, everyone, and welcome to not just another episode of Lords of Limited. We've got the Lord of the Rings Tales of Middle-Earth Crash Course for you. I had to think about what it was called there. <laughs> My name is Ben Horney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan, tempted by the ring, Sax. Ethan, you ready to talk some Lord of the Rings? I am. I am going to, I'm just warning our listeners that over the next couple of months, whatever, like, I, I'm going to have to do some impressions. Like, oh, I don't know what no. they're. I don't know what they're gonna be. It's just <laughs> it's just hard. It's hard for me to not like. Don't you just kind of want to talk in a weird British accent a little bit when you read these cards? I have no compulsion to do that <laughs> at all. It's interesting. That's interesting. Maybe That's interesting. maybe a Gollum impression. That would be the only thing I would maybe be tempted by. Okay. 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 Maybe. Are you ready to get into this thing? This this behemoth. Of a set? I think so. I'm fired up. I woke up an hour early. I'm on an MTG fitness kick. I've run a mile and I'm ready to I'm ready to duke it out with you. I'm wide awake. Come on. The sick brags that I, I worked out already. I'm feeling good. I don't know. Jonah slept until a, a whopping 8.30. I was talking. He did it yesterday and today. Jen and I were like, what a shift in our lives that now sleeping in is 8.30. It's like, wow, could you believe what a late morning that was? So yeah, I mean, that sounds like Jonah's a champion from other friends I've had that have had kids. Yeah, yeah. No, he's 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 a dream for sure. And uh definitely feeling well rested and excited to talk about these cards and battle it out when we get to our grading differences. Ben already told me he's he's locked and loaded. He's ready to fight. I had nothing but time while I was running to think about my my arguments. <laughs> I asked him how many, let me ask you this, am I gonna get? He said quite a few. So quite a few. If, uh, if you've never joined us for new set hype, we do things a little differently here on Lords of Limited. Uh, we won't be doing a full card-by-card card set review here, though we have graded every single common and uncommon in a spreadsheet that we'll share with you uh, in the show notes where you download the episode. We'll get to those in a little bit. What we're going to do first is look at some big picture stuff. Um, we're going to look at some sort of like sweeping generalizations, looking at how removal matches up with creatures in the format, looking at some sort of, you know, pillars of limited and environments like how many sweepers there are, what incidental life gain there is, what mana sinks there are, what fixing there is. We're also going to look at the specifics of this set, like the archetypes and the keywords and the support for those. And then we'll get into the grading scale and the grading differences. So like I said, we've graded all the cards. Then any spot where we have a two or more gradation difference, Ben and I are going to duke it out and talk about why we think the other person is absolutely wrong. And then we'll get to ranking our top three commons and our top two uncommons for each color. Ready to get into it? I am. Let's do it. All right. First things first. That was a little tease. First things first, a little housekeeping. We have to talk about the Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. Uh, we got a lot of great stuff over at the Patreon the best thing that we offer is the Discord. I think that's fair to say. Everybody who goes back to the Patreon gets access to the Lords of Limited Discord. It's a fantastic 24-7 limited tech support community of like-minded individuals also obsessed with magic. People hopping and popping in there. I guess there are practice drafts already to do via our Discord that people are firing off. Um, and they can then talk about their decks and maybe even maybe even match those up on a little, uh, little third-party client. Who knows? Um, but yeah. When the set drops next week, you're going to want to be in on the Discord. People are going to break the format wide open. You're going to get lots of feedback on your, you know, your drafts, your decks, your your final build. You get to see the trophies that people are winning with. It's an awesome place. And then a lot of other great rewards as you move up those rankings on the Patreon page. And of course, we want to shout out our new patrons the first week that they joined. So this week we are welcoming Jacob, Seth, and I can't tell if this is a compliment or an insult. Ethan loves jokes in his Twitch chat. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. 
I mean, they're just getting it in on the podcast since they're not allowed to do it in your Twitch chat, right? That's I mean, true. That's true. That's, that's got to be an homage. An homage? Okay, we'll take it. We'll take it done as with, a positive Done with spin. love, much like your poking about uh, Vanquish the Week. At the <laughs> for, for those of you listeners that don't watch our streams, I like Vanquish the Week. It's a solid C+, as has been the trend of the last two weeks on the podcast. And Ethan... What do you think? It's like a D. I don't know. You feel like you think it's terrible. I'm happy to play. I'm happy to play the first Vanquish. Since I like ribbed you, I think every time I've been in black, I've played two Vanquishes. So I don't know. I don't know what my feeling about the card is. It's good. Sometimes you need to get something off the battlefield. Gets the job done. Sure. But also patrons, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your support. We cannot say thank you enough. Show is also brought to you by CoolStuffInc.com, where they've got cool stuff in stock, and right now. Lord of the Rings Tales of Middle Earth is the stuff that's flying off the digital shelves. So if you need to get yourself some boxes to draft with or maybe pick up you know, a box to get some of the, the legendaries for your commander decks that are floating around, if you purchase paper cards and you don't have an online place to do so, or board games or whatever, they've got it all at CoolStuffInc.com. We strongly encourage you to use them. And when you do, please check out with code LOL, all caps, to let them know that we sent you over there. I had someone come into my Twitch chat the other day and they were like, cool stuff is my LGS. And I've been slamming code LOL there. I was like, thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's awesome, go awesome here. Yeah. Okay, let's get into it. So first things first, we're going to look at the stats, baby, how creatures line up against the removal spells in the format. There are 92 creatures at common or uncommon. That's a fairly low number, actually. Um, usually it's in the, you know, low hundreds, like between 100, 110. I think it's a low number because a lot of the creatures, quote unquote, are locked up in these amass one, amass two spells. Um, and that'll be relevant in just a second when we look at what number or percentage specific removal hits of the total 92 creatures. So we're going to look at x ones there is so much one toughness hate i don't know if you picked up on this when you're looking at the spoiler but uh a lot of uh, ways to punish one toughness creatures first up is the black breath it's two and a black for a sorcery at common creatures your opponent's control get minus one minus one until end of turn the ring tempts you we've also got cast into the fire one in a red instant choose one cast into the fire deals one damage to each of up to two target creatures or exile target artifact. And then there's also fear, fire, foes, which is X and a red for a sorcery at uncommon. Damage can't be prevented this turn. Fear, fire, foes deals X damage to target creature and one damage to each other creature with the same controller. Yeah, that's going to be the brutal one. That's a brutal one for sure. Uh, there are 19 creatures with toughness one. Uh, that's 21% of the total creatures at common or uncommon. I'm curious to see if cast into the fire, that's the one that splits one damage to two creatures, is going to be playable. Somebody in chat asked me last night, well, Chandra's Pyrohelix was always fine. Why won't this be? And the reason is this can't do two to one creature, right? You mm -hmm. have to ping off two X ones. I doubt it's going to be main deckable in best of one, but there are enough good X ones that it might be. Yeah. And the second mode being destroy an artifact, I think is going to rarely come up. There's not very many artifacts in the set. You don't want to blow up a food token? <laughs> I guess. I mean, <laughs> worst comes to worst, I can. That's like blowing up your opponent's energy. That's right. Yeah. It basically is like lava spiking their face, right? Yeah. All right. Moving on to the X2 creatures. These are removal spells that are going to deal with things with two toughness. First up, we've got Golem's Bite. This is black for an instant. Target creature gets minus two, minus two until end of turn. And then you can pay three and a black to exile this from your graveyard to have the ring tempt you at sorcery speed. And there's also Ranger's Firebrand, which is red for a sorcery at uncommon. Deals two damage to any target. The ring tempts you. Both those are excellent cards. Yeah, those are primo. 18 creatures with toughness two, which brings us up to 40% of all the creatures that this is going to hit. And that number is usually higher. Usually 
the X2s or less represent about half, about 50%. But I think, again, like I said, the amass is mostly a mass one or a mass two. And so I think that bumps up that number a little higher. So I would expect these, you know, Golem's Bite and Ranger's Firebrand to deal with, you know, a, a good bit of creatures. Next up, we've got the X3s with our headliner removal spell for the format, I think. This is Smite the Deathless, one in a red for an instant, deals three damage to one target creature. That creature loses indestructible until end of turn. If that creature would die this turn, exile it instead. So there's 27 creatures with toughness, three, which brings us up to 64 total or 70% of all of the creatures at common or uncommon. So that's a good chunk. There are a lot of four mana three threes that are mm-hmm. kind of like cog engine type pieces for their respective two color archetypes. And Smite the Deathless is going to wreck those type of cards. Absolutely. That takes us on to the X4s. Only one card. You know, we usually have a lot more cards that deal with these specific toughnesses, but just one here. And that's Improvised Club. One in a red for an instant. As an additional cost to cast the spell, sack an artifact or creature. Improvised Club deals four damage to any target. That's going to hit 24 creatures with toughness four or bring us up to a whopping 96%, leaving only four creatures on the sidelines there that the four toughness or less uh, removal doesn't deal with. Also, it seems like a fine time as any to point out, there are a billion four mana four fours running around in this format. Mm. So I think if you're not doing stuff actively to stop them or make sure you have a game plan that is better than casting a vanilla four mana four four you might be losing to some some four fours with menace or whatever Mm -hmm. yeah no that's that's for sure um and then there was one other thing that i wanted to check when looking at the removal which is this one card called lost to legend which is white white for an instant put target non-land historic permanent into its owner's library fourth from the top uh, so if you've never played with Historic before, that counts artifacts, legendaries, and sagas. And so I checked the permanents at Common or Uncommon and how many of them were Historic. About half, 47% of them. Well, plus it will always hit your opponent's ring bearer, right? Right. That's a really good point. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Because the first level of uh, the ring tempts you makes the ring bearer legendary. Okay. Okay, well, that makes Lost to Legend, I think, a lot better than I was initially thinking. Yeah, it also, I think, makes You Cannot Pass quite a bit better. That's the single white removal spell that deals with a legendary thing on blocks or blocked by. And I think that card is main deckable also because it's always going to have a target in your opponent's ring bearer. Yeah, that's going to be really hard, I think, initially for me to wrap my head around to like shortcut. Well, they're always going to have a legend or they're very often going to have a legend. Yeah, okay. That makes us the Lost to Legend much, much better. Um Let's chat a little bit more about some noteworthy things about removal. So in the spreadsheet where we have all of our grades and grading differences and all that good stuff, there's also a tab for combat tricks and a tab for the removal in the format. So just some noteworthy things about removal. As I said before, we didn't have a lot of stuff that targeted like specific, you know, two toughness, three toughness, four toughness things. There's just way more quote unquote unconditional removal, like things that just target creatures no matter what their size or shape is. Um, Usually we have like black and red each getting a kill a small, medium, big thing. Red doesn't really have that, right? They don't get a clunky like five mana deal five. Red's uncommon deal two and it's common deal four, the improvised club that sacks a thing. Those can both go face. Again, those are whew, that's different than where we are used to seeing, right? We're used to seeing, you know, maybe there's like an uncommon six mana spell or something that can deal six to any target or something. Food tokens also make that feel a little bit less bad though, right? That's for sure, right? Yeah, the, the food tokens being a, a sort of a staple for incidental life gain in the format, I think does make that feel a little less bad. Black doesn't get 
a kill a small or medium thing at common, all three of Black's common removal spells are just destroy target creature, which is unique, I think. That is wild. Uh, The aura-based removal spells in white and blue are worded strangely. (laughs) To say the least. They're worded strangely, so they do not specifically hose a mass token. So like the white one turns it into a spirit, which means your future amass doesn't just like amass under an aura removal spell. And the blue one is a like tap a thing, keep it tapped. Unless you remove a plus one plus one counter from it, then you can untap it. And again, that's to to interact with amass tokens. Well, and there's also just green and blue getting some pretty decent removal. Like green gets a yep. bite spell at common, a bite spell at uncommon. Blue gets an aura removal spell. Again, that's worded super awkwardly. But it also gets a four mana instant speed, tuck something two cards deep into the library, which looks quite strong. And lots of bounce spells otherwise and counter spells. There is no clunky colorless removal spell, so no urns for me to pick up late. That's got to raise your win rate, right? Wow. Can you just <laughs> can you just relax, please? Can you just relax? Uh, and some stuff that we didn't count uh, in the spreadsheet were, you know, counter spells, three in blue. There's actually one in white, right? Reprieve the return of spells on the stack to its owner's hand and draw a card. A couple bounce spells in blue, a disenchant effect in green, and a couple conditional removal spells. I put conditions in, in big quotes, one of them being you cannot pass. That's the one that's the deals with the legendary that's blocked or blocked by. And then Morgul Knife Wound, the minus three, minus O, aura in black that has you the option to uh, sack the creature or you take two damage every turn. So uh, quite a bit of interaction and quite a bit of whatever unconditional interaction in this format. So you'll be able to deal with your opponent's stuff, I think, pretty handily if you want to. Yeah, sweet. All right, let's uh, take a quick ad break and we'll be back with the rest of the breakdown of the format. Today's episode is brought to you by Factor. Ben, talk me through the perfect summer day for you. Ooh, I don't know. Maybe getting up around 9.30, 10, going for a little run. I'm on a little bit of a fitness kick these days. Love it. Playing some golf, maybe some table tennis, visiting some family, definitely a stream at the end of the day, maybe like a two or three hour evening stream, watching an episode of one of my favorite shows, something like that. That's pretty weird that you didn't say anywhere in there, spend a bunch of time in the kitchen cooking dinner. (laughs) Yeah, that's because that's about the last thing I want to do. Well, lucky for you, Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, can help fuel you up fast with delicious and nutritious ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. With Factor, you can skip the trip to the grocery store, the chopping, the prepping, and the cleaning up, too. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, which means maximum time for draft density. If you're looking for taking something off your plate while keeping food on your plate, Factor has over 30 different chef-prepared, dietitian approved weekly options featuring premium ingredients for you to choose from. Head to factormeals.com slash LOL50 and use code LOL50 to get 50% off your first box. That's code LOL50 at factormeals.com slash LOL50 to get 50% off your first box. Hey, how about that whole off your plate, on your plate thing? What'd you think? I think we need to go back to the show. All right, we're back and we're going to take a look at the archetypes according to what Wizards of the Coast laid out for us. So first up is blue-white. And as we surmised last week, this is a mid-range deck, often using evasion as the win condition. Fancy way of saying blue-white flyers with a draw second card theme. Yeah, and I think a little bit of a mea culpa from at least me last week where we were talking about one of the signposts and we're like, well, you know, it's a cost reduction, but how are you going to ever do anything that draws your second card that doesn't cost mana? 
Well, big face palm, the the second layer of uh, the ring tempts you is going to get you there with a free loot. And I think it's going to be pretty important to get to that second layer of the ring tempts you. I did a couple practice drafts on my stream last night with members of Twitch chat, and there was not a lot of filtering or like card advantage. My deck looked very core set-esque. Can, and if you don't can say get, it, don't say the C word. I know. They're, they're coming for you. <laughs> they are coming for me. I care about I care about you. Don't, don't say the C word. But anyway, it did, it did seem very corset-esque. But I will say if you get to that second layer of the ring, having that loot on attacks is going to be excellent for smoothing your draw, right? Looting that you don't have to pay mana for and you get to do while you're attacking, which is something you want to do anyway, presumably assuming you're not behind, that's going to be pretty good. Yeah, I agree. Brings us on to blue-black, which is a controlling amass deck. There's a milling aspect to it, allowing you to mill yourself for gain or the opponent as a mill win condition. And it also has a light human creature type matters element. Yeah, I tried to draft blue-black in one of the (laughs) two drafts I did last night. I didn't quite get there, but it was because someone else was in blue-black. And I think this is as advertised. I think blue-black and blue-red, blue-red's going to be spells. There's, I think, a lot of crossover there, which is cool. So if you're in like a blue spells thing, I think you're going to have outs to pivot into full on blue red spells or maybe this blue black milling deck. I haven't done any practice drafts, but it's really hard. And maybe it's just with the amass element, but it's really hard for Grixis in this set to not remind me of Grixis in War of the Spark. Like a lot of that crossover bleed of, you know, making the amass tokens, the amass tokens being creatures that come from spells. Then there's that sacrifice element that black and red have that's good with the amass tokens. A lot of bleed in those three colors. Yeah, I do think black, red and blue, black at least feel pretty distinct, right? Because black, red, as we see, is going to be an aggressive amass deck. And I think Mm -hmm. it is very beatdown centric. It has a sacrifice component as well as an orc and goblin as a batch kind of together tribal element matters red green is next this archetype is a ramp quote power matters deck pairing larger red creatures with green tree folk it also dips into the wild creature element of the set uh ben a little uh what's ever the long list of the ends you're gonna be doing your seven creature types no i'm i'm conceding i (laughs) removed that one from our arguments that card is pretty bad after i looked at the rest of the after i looked at the whole set the green uncommons and i was thinking am i ever gonna pick this probably not but that tagline for red green also just makes me never want to draft red green it's i mean it seems so unfocused just looking at it of like there's some of this landfall stuff and then there's some of this four power matters stuff but none of it really feels like it's cohesive in any way there is the three mana four two which is going to be pretty huge for red green i think sure All right, moving on, we've got green-white. This archetype is an aggressive Hobbit deck that makes use of food tokens. And I think as build, for sure. I I drafted a banger-looking green-white deck last night. Did you feel any tension of like there's like two flavors, like a one that wants to be super aggressive and sack food to give creatures plus four, plus four or whatever, and then a, a controlling one? It depends on what the top commons are if the dog that eats food is green's best common and that's kind of what i think spoiler alert Mm -hmm. then i think it's the best versions are going to be aggressive aggressive. and i think you and i will still try to draft the derpy abzan yeah (laughs) at controlling version of it (laughs) yeah yeah i just yeah I, i totally agree with you i do think that 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 dog is likely one of if not the best green common Next up is White Black. This archetype is a legendary creatures matter deck, which is sort of what it was initially when we saw historic in Dominaria. Like, yeah, Black White was kind of knights, but also had a a bit of a a legendary historic matters thing. A deck that makes his use 
that makes use of the ring tempts you mechanic. It also has more legendary creatures and a sacrifice component. That just sounds like everything I want to do. I think this is going to be the best deck in the format. That's my Whoa. pick going in. I mean, that whatever. Call my shot now. What's the Denethor? The 2-4 the uncommon looks busted to me. So does the two mana make two spirits? Like both the gold uncommons are insane. And we've seen strong indicators, I think, with how good the gold uncommons are for the best archetypes. I also think going in black looks like the strongest color to me. Mm -hmm. Just from grades, I, I really like white black. Nice. Moving on to the next one, blue red. This is also a really strong looking deck. I think I'm just naturally predisposed to want to draft this type <laughs> of deck too. But this archetype leans on a wizard's theme and has an instance and sorceries matter center. It's a control archetype that rewards you for casting a lots of spells. These are always I always need like other people to build this deck first before I can like know what the blueprint looks like. I think this is going to be one of the like three, four, five creatures type decks. Yes. Just from looking at the cards and the spoilers and the previews. I feel pretty strongly this is going to be very low creature count. Next up is Black Green. This archetype has a life and death theme. It sacrifices and regrows cards. It's the other archetype that makes major use of food tokens. Sounds to me like Black Green is graveyard stuff. Graveyard stuff. The classic. Moving on to Red White. This archetype has a go-wide humans deck. Ranges from aggro to mid-range depending on what cards you draft. I think good versions of Red White are going to be aggro and beating down yeah and lastly we've got green blue this archetype is a tempo elf deck it has some elf creature type matter stuff and the rewards for scrying are here as well this i feel bad i feel like green blue has gotten <laughs> the shaft a little bit the past few sets that's what i thought too until i did the research for the color pairs for the crash uh -huh. course i'm kind of a believer in the green blue scry deck i think it's there Okay. All right. All right. I would love to be proven wrong. All right. So we're going to take a, a dive into some new and returning mechanics and kind of take a look at some of those decks, not all, just ones that seem to be supported or not so much. And we, we kind of gave you some, some thoughts there as we went through the archetypes. But if we look at the ring tempts you as a new mechanic, there's 34 commons and uncommons where the ring tempts you appears on a card. And it seems to be fairly well supported and spread across colors. There's six white, seven blue, seven black, five red, five green, three gold, one colorless. So it, it's a smattering everywhere. Yeah. Okay. So really, really well spread out. And I think just as I was trying to conceptualize how I thought this was going to go in games, things to keep in mind, this is first and foremost, an offensive mechanic, right? You're only getting the benefits if you are attacking unless you need to make one of your creatures legendary. The second level, as we've already pointed out, this episode is going to trigger your draw two on your turn for no mana cost, which is going to be huge for a blue white deck, right? So if you're blue white, you're really want to going to want to get to level two at least. Yeah. And I think also another hard thing to like have a heuristic for is that cheaper powered creatures will be less likely to be blocked, right? Thanks to that first level of the ring tempt you. Right. So for example, again, jury's out on this and I think we'll we'll figure it out fairly quickly after playing with the cards, but there's that one in a green one three that scries one on attacks. Oh, like, is that card going to be better because you'll be able to make it your ring bearer and then things with higher toughness than their power also aren't going to be able to lose combat if they're your ring ring bearer right unless your right. opponent has tricks so a, a one two or a two three like things that have a bigger butt you're going to want to make your ring bearer there's also that white two mana one three that like when you attack you can pay three or sack of food to tap a thing so maybe that's a little better as your ring bearer too 
Yeah. And then there's also just some considerations like you probably don't want to make your best creature your ring bearer, right? Right. Because it's likely to be the thing that gets killed with any instant speed removal. But then if you can get up to like, I think if you can get to the fourth layer of it, I think it's going to be awesome. Like I hadn't really thought about how hard it was going to be to get to the different levels or what the benefits were. But if you think about it like splashing, let's say you've got three cards where the ring tempts you. You're, if you're going to reliably get to level one then, right? If you're thinking about it like mana sources to do the thing. Yeah. Three cards where the ring tempts you is going to get you to level one. Maybe five cards where the ring tempts you gets you to level two. Eight cards like where the ring tempts you. If you're thinking about it like mana sources, if you were trying to cast a red, red, red card and you had eight mountains in your deck, that would only get you to level three, right? Like mm-hmm. you're going to have to have a lot of it if you want to get to levels three and four. But I think if you do, it's going to be incredible. One of the things I was also wondering as I was looking at these cards, so it seemed to me, and maybe it's just because I was looking at it, but you know, the ring tenth you seemed to be, as you said, it's it's pretty prevalent, it's well supported, it's slapped onto a lot of cards. And a lot of cards I was evaluating like, okay, so this like is a, like a card and a chunk because it's like an effect you would normally feel like you got for that cost, plus the ring tempts you tacked on there. Is there any kind of like, do you worry about I'm going to get to level four too fast and then there's no benefit to that ring tempts you text, I guess, except for reassigning your ring bearer sometimes? If your ring bearer dies and your opponent's going to be heavily incentivized to try to kill your ring bearer if it is, you know, level four where it's dealing an extra three damage. Right. I think it's hard to get to level four. Like that's so much ring tempting that has to has to be done. And it's also awkwardly stapled on to lots of like filler looking cards, right? Right. Like a three, two, the ring tempts you. I don't want to put a three mana three, two in my deck. Do I want to? Do I actively want to put a three mana three, two where the ring tempts me in my deck now? Like, does that make it desirable? Does that make it just slightly better than filler? Like how much do you how much do you care about the ring tempting you? You know, the more I think about it right now, it feels like the deck with more ring tempts you is more likely to win. It just, it does feel so like it is snowball-y. I mean, I guess you also, the deck with more removal maybe can can beat the deck with more ring tempts you, but I don't know, man. Like if I only have like three instances of the ring tempts me and you have like eight, that seems like you get so much more value than I will. I think the big one is going to be getting to level two for the loot. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Just as a smoothing mechanic for what, you know, I was, because when you draft on this Draftmancer website, you can see all of the decks at the table and like there's not a ton of filtering. Yes. So just getting the free loot seems pretty huge. And then there's only one really repeatable way to ring tempt, which is Dunedain Rangers, which is four mana for a four, four uncommon. And it says whenever land enters the battlefield under your control, if you don't control a ring bearer, the ring tempts you. Yeah. So it's repeatable only if you don't have a ring bearer, which I right. guess like you're thinking, well, if you have a ring bearer, you're probably like ahead because your opponent can't answer it. Right. Well, so and just this looks like what I would consider a fairly junky card. Right. Four mana four fours. Four mana four four. We don't typically care about that. Also, there are a billion four mana four fours in the set. Right. But does this landfall ability like is this a premium card? You know, like that'll be curious to see how that goes. And I think we'll figure it out really quick. Yeah, for sure. Next up, we're going to take a look at Amass Orcs X. There are 19 cards in the Grixis colors that have a mass. That's five in blue, eight in black, five in red, and then one, the blue-black uncommon. And a handful of payoffs we want to chat about. One we looked at last week. This is sort of the Flame Tongue Kavu variant. It's four A of Orcs. 
three and a red for a sorcery. You amass orcs two, and when you do, foray of orcs deals X damage to target creature and opponent controls, where X is the amassed army's power. Yeah, there's also, I think this is blue-blacks kind of thing, maybe an amass mill deck. So we've got a card surrounded by orcs, three and a blue for a sorcery, amass orcs three, then target player mills X cards, where X is the amassed army's power. Yeah, I was thinking about this. I was like, oh, this is cute. This is like that homerid from Dominaria, four mana, three, sec- three. The second one's going to mill six. I know, they yeah. with your army. Yeah, they got it. Like, it's so interesting. This is one of the few ones where I feel like you want this to be an aura, actually. You don't want this to make a fresh creature. Yeah, I think this is going to kind of be a key card for the blue black deck and i think you're probably going to need to wield them i mean it's not a premium card by any stretch we'll have to see how good that deck ends up being but i like that surrounded by orcs is a blue card that's a creature that's a spell that can kind of play in blue red and blue black yeah and like you said i think that the key part there is that you'll be able to get them late ideally for whatever you know if this is blue black like this is maybe the kind of card you want to sort of spot early in a pack and assume you can get late yeah. Um, and lastly, we've got Maher Urukai Captain. It's black red for a 2-2 with Menace. If one or more plus one plus one counters would be put on an army goblin or orc you control, that many plus one plus one plus one counters are put on it instead. Sick payoff there. Sick payoff. And Amass, as we said last week, looks super well supported. I think mm-hmm. going into the Grixis colors seems like it will do good things for you. I feel fairly confident that all three of those decks, blue, black, blue, red, and red, black are pretty strong. Well, don't, don't, uh, don't put green, white on the sidelines, baby. It's got food. It's got food. So we've got 20 cards that make or care about food tokens. And again, they're concentrated in green, white, six, white, nine, green also touches black. We saw black green had some food stuff going on. I think this food token stuff is just rectangle theory in action. And you're, you're supposed to Think about the food tokens like a resource that you can cash in for an effect or an advantage similar to energy. They just also happen to be able to be sacrificed for three life. Yeah, really excited about food tokens. We'll chat about a couple specific cards when we get to our top commons. Uh, Next is blue, red, instants, and sorceries matter. Uh, Some really cool payoffs here with like Gandalf sanction. This is one blue red for a sorcery deals X damage to target creature where X is the number of instant and sorcery cards in your graveyard. But then excess damage is dealt to that creature's controller instead. Like if you, this is a very scary late in the game. I don't, like, I don't know, but when we've seen well-supported spells matter, like instant sorcery matters archetypes in the past, it is not crazy for this to get up to six, seven, eight, you know? And then this is just, doming your opponent for a ton you ready for the hot take yeah zenith flares back baby Ooh, there it is there's the take people want do you really think it's as busted as zenith flare because what i'm worried about is i guess there is also incidental mill i mean we just saw it like you can use that i know you can target yourself you can just target yourself and there's the blue spell that lets you rebuy and put an instant or sorcery on top of your graveyard i think blue red is gonna be busted that's pretty sick, Ben. You, there's also the one mana cantrip draw card, the ring tempts you. I think that card's going to be crazy good. I think yeah. that's going to be pretty heavily contested. But yeah, blue red looks legit. There's also fiery inscription. This one I'm a little more skeptical of, but if it's good, it's going to be very good. So two mm. in a red enchantment when this ETB is the ring tempts you. Great. And whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, it deals two damage to each opponent. That's ah, just such a sick. That's like classic build around territory. It is taking turn three off to do nothing, though, when there's like four mana, four fours running around going to be potentially tough. And like those build arounds in the past could kill creatures like when you did the thing, like could Burning Vengeance target anything? 
Yeah, Burning Vengeance was sick. They don't they don't make them like they used to. <laughs> no, they really don't. Uh, next so this up, is oh. this is similar to a mill win condition, right? Like it just only is doing something if you actually kill the opponent with it. Yeah. Next up is red, white, human, aggro. Can we just argue about this card right now? This is uh, Urkenbrand, Lord of Westfold. It's three and a red for a 3-3 three, three legendary creature human soldier. It says when Urkenbrand or another human enters the battlefield under your control, creatures you control get plus one, plus oh until end of turn. So a little human payoff there for the red, white, human aggro deck. Yes. And I think you potentially are going to be able to pop off with this. I just am so nervous about paying four mana for a three three in this format. It's, I think that's fair. It's yeah. it's four mana for a three three that it does something when it enters the battlefield. A wise podcast co-host of mine once said that your four mana plays need to impact the board immediately in some way. And the fact that this does, like it'll push damage or make attacks better for you, whatever, I think that that does make up for its poor stats. Yeah. So grading wise, if we're arguing about this, yeah, you gave us a build around B. I gave us a C. Truth might be somewhere in the middle. Like it might be a C plus or something like that. But I think this card is closer to Zada than it is something that makes me want to play red. You know, it's like a very niche like inclusion in a red humans deck. Can I interest you in a common called Rally at the Hornburg that creates two one one human tokens with haste until end of turn? I've seen the Wombo combo, friend. That's, I've seen it. It's two three ones with it's haste. Very, it's very good. That's yeah. not, but that's not Zada territory because, like, that's a card you actively want. Like, Zada made you play cards you didn't really actively want. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm very uh, optimistic about Urkenbrand. It's, it's going to be good when it's good. We've also got Theoden, King of Rohan. We talked about this last week, but this card's great. One red, white for a 2-3. When it or another human enters the battlefield under your control, target creature gains double strike until end of turn. Yeah, I mean, that card's just a banger. I think, I mean, I'm usually not that excited about uh, aggro decks. I don't know, for some reason, the red, white humans deck just seems really sweet to me. Yeah, it's going to hit hard and it's going to hit fast. All right, talk to me about the blue-green scry deck. I, this actually looks well supported. I don't want to eat my words here, but uh-huh. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about Blue Green Sky. There's 21 cards in Blue Green or Colorless lets you scry or care about scrying. So, like similar support to like the food tokens or the amass deck. Yeah, and I wouldn't have thought that initially. So a really key card I think is going to be Elrond, Lord of Rivendell. This is two and a blue for a three-two Elf Noble, and whenever it or another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you scry one. And if this is the second time this ability is resolved this turn, the ring tempts you. I think that part's going to be a little more incidental, but your creatures triggering scry seems pretty big because a lot of the payoffs just attack super hard when you scry. Yeah, I mean, just turning every, giving every creature ETB scry one is pretty busted. This is going to feel like a lightning rod for removal, I think. Yes. So we've got like as payoffs, Arwen and Domiel. It's green blue for a 2-2 Elf Noble. And whenever you scry, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature. Then you can pay six mana to scry two. We've also got another card that I think I'm going to preemptively concede to you <laughs> in our <laughs> crash course on, which is Nimrodel Watcher. This is one and a blue for a 2-1. And whenever you scry, it gets plus one plus oh until end of turn and can't be blocked this turn. This triggers only once each turn. But I think this is going to be a huge card for blue green. And I think blue green looks real. And I graded the cards before I did my Mm. research on blue green. Yeah, this card just looks really sweet to me. In the Brothers War, we had sort of pegged a few commons that kind of like were build arounds or like ways to get you into an archetype. And I think Nimrodel Watcher fits that bill in a big way. Like commons that are, I do think this is basically a build around at common. Like you get three of these and this is your deck's plan. Two mana, three, one unblockable is no joke. 
Right, similar to Goblin Blast Runner or exactly. something like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little worried about it being an X one. Yes, that is for sure. The unblockability of it, at least like the fact that you don't have to worry about a mass tokens just running into this, I think is better. But yeah, you, your opponent plays a mountain and you're just terrified of uh, fear fire foes. All right, so that's the archetypes there a little bit. Uh, let's talk about some sweepers. Okay, so as we've seen in the past two sets, this can be a huge part of the format, right? White Sun's Twilight and Wandering Emperor in Phyrexia All Will Be One, Sunfall and Invasion of Fiora in the last set. So we've talked about the mini sweepers, the Black Breath and Fearfire Foes to deal with X1s. Um, at Rare or Mythic, there's the Battle of Bywater, which is one white white for a sorcery. Destroy all creatures with power three or greater then create a food token for each creature you control. So could potentially, you know, be a little one-sided if your deck is built around it. It also could just potentially do nothing. Yeah, not good, I think. Agreed. One ring to rule them all, also not good. Yeah. Two black black for a saga. Chapter one, the ring tempts you, then each player mills cards equal to your ring bearer's power. Chapter two, destroy all non-legendary creatures. And then chapter three, each opponent loses one life for each creature card in that player's graveyard. Actually, maybe this is better than I thought, right? I don't know. This doesn't destroy ring bearers either. So your opponent gets to keep their ring bearer and you get to keep your ring bearer, but you get to choose what your ring bearer is before this pops off. Mm, That's fair. And I think in general, you're incentivized to normally make your ring bearer kind of a not great card. Right. And this might incentivize you, but then your opponent has a turn. To, to answer to, it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. This and, game, this, and to see this coming, eh, I don't love it. I don't love it either. I do love this. The last one is Spiteful Banditry, X Red Red for an enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, it deals X damage to each creature. Whenever one or more creatures your opponents control die, you create a treasure token. This ability triggers only once each turn. Meat Hook Massacre's back, baby. Kind of. Kind of is. Yeah, so... It doesn't look like sweepers are going to be a big part of this outside of spiteful banditry, but still, uh, still want to keep a lookout for your X ones getting hosed. All right, talk to me about fixing. What's going on there? So there seems like quite a bit of fixing. A lot relies. The big thing I want to to point out here is that a lot relies on running a basic land of the type. So there are basic land cyclers like we just saw in March of the Machine. Uh, there are basic land cyclers in this set as well, one for each color at common. Uh, the land cyclers this time cost one only to go find their respective basics, and then two of the three ways to fix in green ask you to go find basic lands in your deck as well. And then there's a couple ways to make treasure. There's about four colorless fixers of with varying degrees of playability. So I think largely the fixing is going to rely on you running a basic, making... You know, the mill strategy is perhaps even more potent. If Ooh. you're if you're just like running one mountain to splash something and that gets milled, you're gonna be uh you're gonna be up a creek, as they say. So I, I just I don't know. And I also don't know, like usually in corsets, how much bleed. We've already talked about, you know, blue, black, red. There's gonna be perhaps a lot of archetype bleed in those colors. So maybe you will be more interested in splashing there. But usually in these summer sets, you know, your two color decks are are generally where you want to be. There's not a lot of splashing going on. That was my sense in the couple of drafts I did last night was that you were highly incentivized to one, I think, try to make your cards more than what they say on the card, you know, build a synergy thing that is a machine that is the sum of more than its parts was pretty important because like if you look at the grades, I put the grades in our 17 lands, you know, spreadsheet, there are not a lot of premium cards in the set. Like there's a lot of C's, C pluses, B minuses. 
And then I think you're trying to combine those to turn them into Bs, B pluses, A minuses, you know, like you're building, building a synergy machine. And the best way to do that, I think, is to be a really streamlined synergistic two color deck. But that being said, there are, you know, as you mentioned in Grixis, a lot of a lot of things you might be interested in splashing. Like if you're blue black, you're definitely going to want to splash the red flame tongue Kavu right. mass card, for example. So I'm not saying there's going to be no splashing, but I think you're maybe going to be less interested in doing it than you were in March of the Machine, for example, because there were bombs just running around everywhere there. Exactly. All right. If we move on to incidental life gain, which we always take a look at, there's very little outside of food, but food being there means there is a lot of it, right? Right. Literally only four cards besides the things that make food that uh, have you know ways to gain life or life flank or things like that. But that's because so many cards, as we already talked about, there's about 20 of them at common or uncommon make food tokens. So we'll have to see like food as a resource like that. Um, if you didn't play in Throne of Eldraine where food first came up, you know, we thought like, oh, is this going to slow down the aggro decks too much? Or is two mana to crack a food too much of a cost? It's somewhere in the middle. And I think food being utilized by aggressive decks in this format, as we'll see when we look at some top commons is is also going to be interesting, right? That you maybe are making food with the intention of not gaining three life off of them. Uh, last thing we're going to look at here is mana sink. So places to put your mana. And we've actually got some sort of hidden ways, like places to put mana. And two of them are ring tempts you because the second phase lets you, what are we calling them? What What are these layers, the levels of the ring tempting you? Level one, two, three, four? Levels. I don't know. That, like levels is already another thing. Come on, wizards, help us out. Um, so the second level of ring tempts you lets you loot. So that's a way to, I mean, it's a mana sink in a way, right? Because you can pitch excess lands. And in the same vein, scrying being a theme, and if it's if Ben is right, it's a pretty well-supported theme to give you more agency over your draw step. So there's two sort of hidden ways to, to have mana sinks in air quotes there, but also some other big ways like food. There's a handful of equipment and then a smattering of like repeatable activations in a number of permanents in, in all of the colors and even a couple colorless cards as well. All right. You ready to get into the arguments about our grade differences? Yeah, let me put on my boxing gloves. Let me do some stretches. I'm ready to get in the ring, baby. All right. We're going to take a look at our grading scale. This is the classic limited resources grading scale, A through F, kind of the gold standard for limited podcasts and limited content creators everywhere. So what's going on with the A's? Your A's are bombs, game winners, good in many situations, especially when behind. They're the best cards in the set, bomb rares, and hyper-efficient spells. There weren't many of these in uh, in March, were there? Sunfall. No, just, a, just a few. Just a few. Sunfall, Chrome Host Seed Shark, Atali Primal Conqueror. You're not going to get me here, Ben. I'm Dang gonna, it, I'm I tried so hard it. to set you up. He has vanquished the week in this uh, in our show notes here, folks. You took too much time. You were reading ahead. You didn't read that ahead of time. <laughs> Dang it, I tried to slip it in there. <laughs> All right, moving on to the Bs. Strong cards that pull you into a color or make you want to play that color. Reasons to be in a particular color or combination of colors. The best commons and good uncommons. Cards like Blight Reaper Thalid, Captive Weird, Deadly Derision, and Volcanic Spite. Your Cs are solid playables, the meat and potatoes of a limited deck, your role player creatures, normal removal spells. Cards like Flitting Gorilla, Converter Beast, Eyes of Gataxius, and Tarkir Duneshaper. Do you know what? All format, I said Gataxis, and I was like, why is everybody saying Gataxius? Like, why is everybody saying this card wrong? And when I typed it out here, I was like, oh. That's an eye there. It is annoying. Like it does, I mean, I'm sure whatever lore makes sense, but because it's Jin Gataxis, right? Right. Yeah, I don't I don't get it. Moving on to the Ds, sometimes playable below average 22nd, 23rd type cards. 
Things like Iridescent Blademaster, Onake Javelinier, Scroll Shift, or Tenured Oilcaster. Your Fs are unplayables, cards you should never put in your deck, mostly weird rares like Invasion of Arcavios and Jingataxius Core Augur. How about that? So it is Jingataxius. Who knew? This, I feel it's another Mandela effect. This is like when we <laughs> when I found out Ninjutsu was spelled J-U-T-S-U. Yeah. I don't know what's happening. Moving on to the sideboard cards, which are cards that don't make the main deck, but when you board them in can be quite good. Things like Atraxas Fall or Lithomantic Barrage. And then we've got three different sort of augmentations for grades uh, that we have uh, listed in the first page of our spreadsheet. The first is build around cards. These are cards that don't do much on their own, but when you build around them can be good to great. Cards like Corruption of Tawashi, Marshal of Zalfir, and Lords of Limited Staple, Tiller of Flesh. God, I love that card. That's the card I'm going to miss most from March the Machine, which is wild because I just discovered it like two weeks ago. Yeah. Tiller Flesh is a seed shark at home, baby. We didn't have enough time together. All right, moving on to the synergy cards, which are cards that are not good enough to build around, but provide good synergy if they're in the right deck. Things like Beamtown, Beatstick, Halo Hopper, or Omen Hawker. And we're finally going to add Diminishing Returns. These are cards that the second copy of is significantly worse than the first. Cards like Unsealed the Necropolis and Wicked Slumber. All right, we've got our first card here in white. And classically, I have rated an equipment higher than Ethan. <laughs> Shocking <laughs> twist. So we've got Dunadade Blade here. This is one and a white for an equipment. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus one. Equip human for one. And it has an equip cost of three for everything else. Yeah, so I gave this a D, you gave this a Synergy C. I guess we didn't check, like, it seems like there's just a smattering of different creature types, but I guess humans is clearly red-white, right? So in theory, in a humans deck, equip one will be pretty common. Yeah, I think so. That's where I'm assuming this is the only place it's going to get played is in humans. And in humans, I think a one copy might be playable. All right, so maybe, yeah, okay. I, I can get get behind that. I, I was just like, man, you never want to pay equip three for this, right? Oh, God, no. Yeah. Okay. Red-white is going to be almost all humans. And especially with that card that makes two humans, like getting to just turn those one ones into three twos is real big game. There's also the red one drop menace human. Mm -hmm. All right. I'll I'll come up to Synergy C. Got him. Yeah. One for one. That's easy. Next up, we've got Nimble Hobbit. This is one and a white for a one three. When it attacks, you may sacrifice a food or pay two and a white. When you do, tap target creature and opponent controls. I gave this a C. You gave this a D plus. I'll be honest. My C grade here was a bit of a coward grade because I was like, this could either be great or could either be stone terrible. And so I decided to sort of land in the middle. But now that I'm thinking about the ring bearer, like the thing about, you know, your ring bearer not being able to be blocked by things with greater power, I kind of think Nimble Hobbit might be even better than a C. Yeah, except it's ostensibly an aggressive card that only has one power. That yeah. feels a little awkward. And like, do you really want to sacrifice your food to this? You want to sacrifice your food to all your dogs, right? That are going to eat it and grow with plus one, plus one counters? I don't know, but having the option is pretty good. I guess. This is a great, it's a great ring bearer, though. That's that's my feeling about it. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's a good ring bearer. Uh, is it better than the one in a green one three that scries one? Like if you're in green white? If you're in green white, I think it is better. Like that one I think is better in green blue. Mm, I'd buy it. I I am not super jazzed about Nimble Hobbit. I guess there's going to be turns maybe where you can tap down your opponent's whole team. No, 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 no. You don't get to do it. You can't do it like 
many times. No, no, no. But if you've got like two nimble hobbits or whatever, like presumably yeah. if this is good in your green white deck, you might have a couple on the battlefield. Yeah. And then you have a turn where you can tap two or three creatures if you've got two nimble hobbits on the board. Well, and it's also worth noting that like there's a threat of activation here that your opponent kind of has to respect the possibility of this. And so like it might turn what would have been perhaps a race or they're like, I have an attack, but like, man, but if you then have a removal spell, then you get in with your whole team or something, you know, like, so I don't, I don't know, like this, I think you're right. Like this could be a D plus, but this could also be a C plus. I'm, uh, I'm going to stick with C. I think D plus is a little low on this card. Personally, I'll come up to C. Got him. Got me. One for <laughs> one. All right. This next one though. Yeah, we've got now for wrath, now for ruin. Somehow, in a shocking twist, I we've gone full full one eighty. I used to love this type of card, and you convinced me to hate it. So you're you're higher on this than I am. So now for wrath, now for ruin. This is three and a white for sorcery. Put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control. They gain vigilance until end of turn, and the ring tempts you. That's a that's a lot. So I gave this a diminishing return C plus, and you just gave this a D. Like so, I gave this a diminishing return because like I don't think I want to load up on these. But I think one in my white aggressive decks just seems like a banger. Plus one, plus one counter on each creature is huge. Vigilance is huge. And then the ring tempts you is also just gravy. I don't know. They're like, yes, I, I get that when you're behind, this card is not great. But I don't know. I feel like a one of copy. This the card seems very powerful to me. Let me ask you this. How many times did you cast Storm the Seed Core in March of the Machine? Oh, I don't know, like, a, a, as much as I wasn't really drafting green, I did cast it, I don't know, half a dozen times, probably, or like, a half a dozen decks with it, maybe. Yeah, and that also gave trample and mm -hmm. let you distribute them any way you wanted. This uh -huh. is significantly worse than that. And I was not into that card. So the, the main thing is that green was not an aggressive color in March, like, unless you were green white. And in green white, I did want Storm the Seed Core personally, like especially with your plus plus one counter stuff. I, I don't know. I do. Th I think this card's good. I'm sticking. I'm sticking with diminishing return C plus. You're not bringing me down. I am pretty positive this card is bad. I also think a knock against it is that Squire of the King is an amazing card that gives you a similar effect stapled to a one. Mm, so yeah, it's just like redundant and irrelevant. You just want a Squires of the King to give your team plus one plus one. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe so. Maybe so. Ooh. <laughs> wow. Ooh. I feel like that was a victory. I feel like that was a victory for me. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't think that's what the judges are going to say. Um, we'll go on to the uncommons, but there's just one we're going to talk about. That's Tale of Tanuvial. It's three white, white for a saga, first chapter. Target creature you control gets indestructible for as long as you control Tale of Tanuvial. Chapter two, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. And chapter three, up to two target creatures you controlled each gain lifelink until end of turn. I gave this a B, you gave this a C plus. So a B could be aggressive because it is five mana, which is expensive. This is a lot. This is a lot of bang for your, uh, your saga buck here. Getting, you know, five mana for reanimate effectively is, you know, something we usually see at uncommon in limited. And that's not generally a fact that I love. But getting the two additional parts of this, which are the indestructible for two turns is pretty sick. And the lifelink at the end of all this is also very good. I just think there's a lot happening in this card that maybe maybe as a B pull into white is, is too aggro, but I, I want to start high there. That's what my feeling was. Like this is at odds with itself as a white card almost. Like if this were black or green, 
Sign me up, but like, mm. are you? What are you gonna do? You're gonna run land cyclers in your white deck to try to make sure this is on. The other thing I think is there's not a ton of premium creatures to reanimate or to get back. Like, right, the, right. They think it's, the best thing you're doing cyclers. is is a land cycler, and so like maybe in black white because I, I am pretty excited about the black land cycler, and I guess you'd be excited about getting back the white. Yeah, it's you know, a, pump your team mm-hmm. in a white deck, maybe. I do agree there's a lot going on here and potentially powerful. I just think you're doing a lot of work to turn it into a powerful card for something that white decks aren't necessarily interested in. Like green, white beating down, blue, white probably beating down. Yeah, but green, white Red beating white. down. I'm not how I'm building it. Green, white is herp a derp. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I guess. I'm putting like, this in my Abzan soup deck and it's going to be great. Black, black, white seems like the best home for this to me. Yeah. I, I just, it doesn't quite. Pull me into white, but I agree. It could be very powerful. Like, I, I think your grade is more correct, but I'm very excited about this card. I think I think I just I'm glad we got to talk about it because I think it sort of looks a little weird and clunky, but I think it's quite powerful. It does do a lot. I agree. Uh, moving on to blue, we've got uh, a common here to chat about. It's Gray Haven's Navigator. Two and a blue for a three two with flash. When it enters the battlefield, scry one. I gave this a D plus. You gave this a C. I gave this a C, and I was kind of excited about this before I knew that blue-green was amazing. Mm. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I'd go that far, but <laughs> it looks like a real deck. And so, like, scrying at instant speed could really mess your opponent up in that deck. Like, this is already a playable card, right? Three mana, three, two, scry one is a fine Magic the Gathering card as that's, a three drop. That's a D plus, that card. The card you just described is filler. Mm, yes. Yeah, sure. Just, so I'll say fine. It's a D plus. The card you just described is a filler card. But if it's also on ETB giving something plus one plus one or a plus one plus one counter, like a lot going on there in blue green. So I, maybe I really it's a, like this so card maybe a synergy C. Maybe it's Syner- a, yeah. a C synergy in blue C. green. I, I maybe. Yeah, I, I, th- I think this card maybe. is three mana three two is such a bad stat line. It's it is so a, it bad. It is a bad stat line. I agree. OK. All right. <laughs> Guess we'll have to wait and see on that one. All right. Next up, we've got another saga, the Bath Song. This is three and a blue. Chapters one and two, you draw two cards, then discard a card. And then chapter three, shuffle any number of target cards from your graveyard into your library. Add blue, blue. You give us a synergy B minus. I give us a C. Yeah, I just I don't know. I mean, it's a lot of cards. Draw draw four, discard two is a lot of cards um, that you get to see. And I also think, I mean, maybe I'm just predisposed to liking the, the, the last line of text is very likely to be flavor text, but I don't know. And like, if you're doing blue black and you're kind of like self mill and then the bath song lets you just like stack I and mean, you don't stack because it's shuffled, but like you get to just add in all bangers into your library. This card seems really good to me. Maybe I'm just spinning my wheels too much. It's got high power level if you're stable. Yeah, I'm just worried if it's good enough at four mana uh-huh. to like that you're going to get stable and have time to do this. I think things hit hard <laughs> in this format. Like there's right. just so many arbitrarily large creatures running around that if you don't have your defenses set up well, but I agree, this could be very good in a control deck. I, I don't know that it pulls me into a control deck. Maybe it's a C plus. That's fair. And maybe that's what you're saying with synergy B minus as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess synergy B minus is like, yeah, more just like a C plus grade. So I, I get bumped down a little bit. Next up, we've got horses of the Brunin. This is three blue, blue for a sorcery. Return up to two target creatures to their owner's hands. Scry one, the ring tempts you so i gave this a c minus you gave this a c plus i've just always loved this type of effect 
I think this is pretty powerful. It's also just going to be able to straight up kill whatever army your opponent has. Mm. So it's like kill a, kill an army, bounce a thing. I also think you're likely to get a mana advantage because there's so many derpy. Like if you bounce a three and a four drop with this, like it's going to be a pretty big swing. The scry one better than it looks. The ring tempts you better than it looks. I think this card does a lot for five mana. Yeah, the, the fact that this says basically remove your opponent's ring bearer, you get a ring bearer. That's a lot. I'll come up to C+. Yeah. All right, that moves us on to some black uncommons. No black commons to argue about. First is Yeah, that's because they're all bangers. That's <laughs> because they are all bangers. First up is Gorbag of Minus Morgul. What's going on there? Okay, uh, Gorbag, Gorbag, Gorbag is one, one of the black for a 2-2. Whenever a goblin or orc you control deals combat damage to a player, you may sacrifice it. When you do, choose one. Draw a card or create a treasure token. So I gave this a build around B. You gave this a C. Am I crazy that I want sack outlets for my amass decks? Because a lot of the cards that are, are good amass cards are there's a big difference between make a new body versus add plus one plus one or add plus two plus two to something. And sometimes that's good and enables an attack, you grow your creature. But I think often better to just like if you can cash in that thing to get a fresh card and then your you know next to mass is a is a new body, that's pretty sweet. Now, how late in the game is your two two gonna connect with your opponent? I don't know, but it it could be your ring bearer, you know? That's my thing. Like well, I just don't see when this is ever happening and you're interested in sacrificing, right? Like if your creature's getting through, presumably it's a good threat. So you don't want to sacrifice your threat or yes, like you've made your army your ring bearer, but ideally it should be bigger than one, one or two, two at that point. If you're a black deck also, I just can't imagine wanting to sacrifice my board presence as an aggressive deck. That's what I was going to ask you. My let me ask you for this was, did you see that you have to sacrifice? The yes i actually read the cards <laughs> unbelievable um all right i'll come down to to build around c plus you're you're probably right but the thing about like you know if you are actually connecting with this do you really want to sacrifice it and probably not yeah that's that's my feeling do you want to get owned on march of the black gate again or did you have enough last week <laughs> I will throw down. It's the same conversation we had. I should have. We we still had it so funny. I just snorted. The greater garbage. We we still had creating differences on a lot of those cards and got rid of them. This is behind the scenes for you here, listener. For some reason, this one slipped through. I would throw down again, but it's going to be the same conversation we had last week. So I think we should skip it. Okay, next we've got Grand the Gatebreaker. <laughs> this is three and a black for a 5-5 five, five legendary artifact vehicle with Trample. As long as it's your turn and you control an army, Grand the Gatebreaker is an artifact creature and it has a crew cost of three. I gave this a C minus. You gave this a C plus. I, I probably am about to preemptively concede to you. So you're you're basing this off of like, you're going to have an army, and so this is just generally a four mana, five, five trample. Yeah, if you're black, you should always have an army. And yeah. I mean, it can't block for free. Like, you'd have to crew it up to use it as a blocker. Right. But a four mana, five, five trample on offense that's, always is pretty banger. Yeah, crew three is really bad. Like, that's too expensive. But the fact that this can attack on your turn if you have an army is huge. And as you said, if you're in black, you should have a lot of ways to make armies. All right, I'll come up to C plus. 
All right, that takes us on to red and the red commons. First up, we've got Battle Scarred Goblin. This is one in a red for a 2-2 Goblin Warrior, and whenever it becomes blocked, it deals one damage to each creature blocking it. Yeah, I gave this a C. You gave this a D+. I think this is a primo two-drop, personally. I mean, this isn't quite as good as, what was it, Ashmouth Hound? No, this is exactly Ashmouth Hound, but there was one that, like, gave the creatures minus one, minus one. It's like a two-mana two-one. Um, I think that was from Ravnica Allegiance. Anyway, this is less good, but, I mean, the fact that three toughness creatures trade with your two-drop, that's huge. Like, this has really good attacks. It does, except... I- like, where is it premium, right? It's not premium in red-white because it's not a human. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much, like, you're, like, I don't want to run literally any non-humans in that deck. Like I said, I haven't done any, like, drafts yet. So I, this feels like I would just run it in any red aggro deck. You would run it in any red aggro deck. And, like, red-black, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good It's attacker. a goblin because, like, don't a lot of those cards care about goblin, orc, or orcs, a map? Yeah, you know? orcs or goblins, for sure, yeah. A lot of it, yeah, I don't know. I'll come up to C minus maybe. I agree. It's a good offensive card. What do you want from your more from your two drops? Well, I, I'm just trying to figure out where you're playing it, right? Like where you're happy playing it. I don't think you're ever playing it in blue red. I think red white jury's out for me. Red black, you're probably playing it always. And red green, I don't think you're super. I don't think you're super happy about it. Yeah, I, I have no idea about that. I don't know what red green's trying to do. This card just seems like primo on its own. Like I'm not sure that I'm. And maybe you're thinking just more about like these archetypes really need to be as streamlined as possible. And while this card is good, it doesn't have a home. And I'm just thinking this card is good. Right. That's where my D plus grade came from. I was like, where where am I happy with this card? Right. That was my thought process. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's less about the archetypes and more about the amount of ring tempting that you're doing because this is a good ring bearer. Why is it a good ring bearer? Because low power and also like kills high toughness things that can block like one threes that can block it. Don't really block it well. Um, Okay. Yeah. All right. That's a selling point. Yeah. I I mean, maybe I'll come up to C minus. I agree. The card is intrinsically a good offensive card. Yeah. I just am worried about it having a good home. Uh, Next up is Grishnok, Brash Instigator. It's two and a red for a one, one legendary creature goblin soldier. When it enters the battlefield, you amass orcs two. When you do, until out of turn, gain control of target non-legendary creature and opponent controls with power less than or equal to the amassed army's power. Untap that creature. It gains haste until end of turn. I give this a B. You gave this a C plus. This is just excellent. Two just rec- excellent, huh? Two rectangles, plus you're going to steal something. Like, you're just going to get to steal something for incidental, like, chip in for a couple damage. And then sometimes this also just makes your amass huge, which is going to enable an attack. Like, turn your amass two into amass four, swing with a four, four, steal their thing. That's going to hit huge. And if you're in red, black specifically, or you're running the two mana deal four sack of thing, like, having steal and sack, in your just red deck, red X deck is going to happen. And then certainly if you're in red, black, Steel Sack is going to be very possible too. I think this card is excellent. Sold. Ooh, got him. B minus. I love how when you say sold, you never come up to my grade. <laughs> sold. I still think it's worse than you do. Uh, hey, that was a very optimistic pep dog. A B seems a little aggro, but I agree. It's got potential. All right. That takes us on to our green commons. I'm very excited to talk to you about this first green common. It is Elven Farsight. Green for a sorcery. Scry three. Then you may reveal the top card of your library. If it's a creature card, draw a card. Yeah. So I gave this a D plus. You gave this a C. And perhaps a diminishing returns grade is uh is necessary here because i think this is 
this feels very similar to Seed of Hope, right? Right. Like this is a a nice little green cantrip-esque, but you can't really run. Like the more of them you run, the worse they make each other because that's like adding, you know, it's less permanent cards for your Seed of Hope. It's less creature cards for your Elven Farsight. I was trying to compare this to Invasion of Perulio, which is a card I liked quite a bit. The green-blue battle from the last set that had you scry three and then you could reveal the top card if it was uh, a land or a double-faced card oh you uh, wanted a four four stapled onto this that would make it a lot better a four four stapled onto it would make it a lot better but i also thought that that card was just like a nice like little way to cantrip but lands plus double-faced cards is you know that was often 20 plus cards in your deck versus elven farsight only finding creatures that's probably going to be in the 15 ish range so you're going to have less hits i don't know i'm just like I might play one in my green decks. I don't think I'm ever going to really want this card. That's why I put it in the D range. I think you might actually want it in green blue. There's some cards in green You're, blue. You've, that got, care about you've how- got just goggles for green blue. Today. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of a believer. But there's also a couple cards that care about how deeply you scry. So one mana to scry three, like it's digging pretty deep. Well, then you got to give this a synergy grade, my friend. You can't just slap C on this. I graded before I saw the light about blue green. I told you this already. I know. Well, but then (laughs) I agree. It should be a synergy C in in blue green. All right. It feels like it's like synergy plus diminishing returns. Like, Ben, can you also some diminishing returns? I will be so salty. The first time you you miss, you will never put it in your deck again. I agree. I yeah. will. That is true. But I'm going to try it until then. <laughs> All right. Uh, next, we've got Revive the Shire. It's one under green for a sorcery. Return target permanent card from your graveyard to your hand. Create a food token. I gave this a Synergy C+. You gave this a D. I think I'm basically only thinking about this in this, you know, you're only thinking about green, blue, scry. I'm only thinking about Abzan food soup decks. <laughs> and I so think- you're going to rebuy your bats after your opponent kills it? And get the engine online again? For sure I am. I mean, it's like it's like synergy slash diminishing returns. Slash plus. archetype. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slash archetype no one else will ever play. Um, so, so it's a D. So it's a D. You're right. You're right. Yeah. All right. This next card. I cannot wait to talk about this. This is Quick Beam Upstart Ent. This is an uncommon. It's four green green for a five six legendary creature tree folk. Whenever Quick Beam, Upstart Ent, or another tree folk enters the battlefield under your control, up to two target creatures each get plus two plus two and gain trample until end of turn. I gave this a B, you gave this a C. I can't believe how how low you are on this card. This is overrun attached to a, to five, a five six, six? that is potentially repeatable yeah i was going through all the green uncommons and i was like these cards are all not good because we we grade them in order of mana curves i was like these uncommons are kind of whoa 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 what is this card doing here quick beam i think i could see this being a b plus this card is a huge problem this is the reason to draft red green then it gotta be I mean, yeah. Is that okay? Right. That's where the tree folk is too. It's where the tree folk live. Yeah, I guess. Um, I think this card is broken. Yeah, I'll come up to B minus. <laughs> <laughs> you got to keep it. I got to keep it a notch lower than okay, you. Okay, appreciate it. Thank you. Can't give you the full victory. No, no. All right, that takes us on to the multicolored cards. First up, we've got Gandalf's Sanction. One blue red for sorcery. Deals X damage to target creature, where X is the number of instant sorcery cards in your graveyard. Excess damage is dealt to that creature's controller instead. You gave us a build around C+. I gave us a build around B. This card is Zenith Flare. I rest my case. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I'll pull a Ben Warney. I'll come up to build around B-. <laughs> 
Wow. I kind of want to go up to build around A minus. The more I've thought and talked about this card. All right. A couple of colorless cards to talk about before we get to our top comments. First up is Shire Scarecrow. It's two mana for an O3 artifact creature with defender. And you can pay one to add one mana of any color, activate only once each turn. I give this a C minus. You gave this a D. I was thinking like, well, I'm giving it a C minus because it's like kind of a unique effect, but there's actually kind of enough fixing if you want to do the thing in the set where I think I'm just wrong about this card. I'll come down to D. Yeah, card's really bad. I think the only thing that's going to be good for is throwing it into Mount Doom. <laughs> you're going you're to make it legendary. And so it's going to be with your ring, your ring bear, you're going to make it your ring bear. Then you're going to trick Mount Doom and throw the Shire Scarecrow in as your as your ring bear. Okay, I can see it. And then <laughs> uh, I'm a, uh, one of us is definitely wrong about this next <laughs> one card. This is way wrong about this card, yes. Okay, so this is Entdraft Basin. Two mana for an artifact at Uncommon. You can pay X, tap it. Put a plus and plus one counter on target creature with power X. Activate only as a sorcery. I gave this a build around C plus. Ben just straight up gave this an F. I am the most confident I have ever been about this card being an F. Wow. <laughs> What's crazy to me is that like you saw the um, long list of the Ents. <laughs> I was wrong. I was but, wrong. But, about but that like, card. but yeah. So you saw that, and your wheels start spinning, and you see this card, and there's no wheel spinning here. So. But longest of the ends is one mana invested once. Right, but like you're never going to trigger it. This card, the reason I gave this a build around grade is I'm thinking about getting this card and drafting all of the one power things I can see. And I don't know what deck that is necessarily. My, my instinct is it's red something because of the two mana make two one ones um, card. So maybe it's red blue, maybe it's red white, and you can get a lot of one power stuff. But if this is one tap, put a plus plus one counter on your one power creature, that's very good. I mean, I'm not saying it's like build around A, but it's a build around C plus. I think that's I think that's a, a really good thing that you get to do. Because like one mana slots in along your curve on future turns like very easily. And you're just getting to go make this thing bigger, make this thing bigger. And then if ever you get to a point in the game where you're like, well, like maybe we're like the board is stalled out slightly or something. Then this card is just broken. I, I think like F seems wild to me. I think you have to do some work. I think you really want, like this is going to make you take one power things higher and maybe there's going to be a deck for it. But I, I think this, I think this card is excellent. And the fact that one power things already want to be good ring bearers doesn't mean that you're taking like a hit in you know, sort of leaning towards those kinds of cards anyway. This card as an F is is wild to me. I can't imagine ever wanting to put this card in my deck. It's wild to me that you like this as a person that hates equipment. This seems like terrible equipment to me. It's but it's not because you spread because you spread it around. Like it's not like once I'm not taking a counter off of another creature to put it on another creature. I could maybe see it on some one threes. Like that I'm buying like turning some one threes into a two four. There are a lot of one threes running yeah, around. That's so good. That is that is pretty good. I, I I if I'm picturing a deck where this is good, it's a not aggressive deck to me. It's a deck that's again, you said it's best when the board's stable, right? So you're trying to go up the board with blockers and then turn your blockers into giant, huge threats. I, I don't feel like you actually heard my argument. <laughs> I did. <laughs> you weren't really listening to me. I was. You said a bunch of 1-1 creatures and then put up, but I don't know, man. Okay. 
I can see. I don't have to are, convince you. You can still think it's an F. No, there, well, there are a lot of cards like this in the format that are situationally insane. What is what is like this in the format? This is a unique effect. There's nothing like this. But there are a lot of cards. Like, this is only good in a very specific game state. No, I don't agree with that. I think it's very good in a specific deck. I just don't understand. Like, how is this? You're so concerned about the mana investment. It's one mana a turn. Yeah, until your things have two power, and then it's two power. Right, and, and then you're turning your two four into a four six? Yeah. That's excellent. If you if you can do that. So you're you're arguing that this is closer to the Ozolith thing yes. from the last format. Yes. I I don't like this card. That's fine. I think <laughs> I think our friendship may last, may last through the disagreement of Entraft Basin. I'm just surprised I couldn't sell you. I, I just like I I see a lot of good stuff about this card. It just feels like doing a lot of undesirable things to try to make this a good card when there are just other ways to like do good things. My prediction is that the first time you see this card on the other side of the battlefield, you're gonna go. That's a problem. Oh shoot! Yeah, yeah. maybe, maybe that's, that's what I think. All right. Oof. We saved the best one for last there. I don't know. I don't know if I <laughs> need to take a drink of water, take a cold shower. Uh, let's talk about some top commons and top uncommons. We're going to be mostly in agreement here for these cards. Yeah, just different orders, I think, a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. So what's going on in white for you? Number one, I've got Hobbit's Sting. This is one in a white for an instant. Deals X damage to target creature, where X is the number of creatures you control, plus the number of foods you control. Nice. The number two slot, I've got a Squire of the King. This is white for a 1-1, and it has four tap creatures you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn. This ability costs two less to activate if you control a legendary creature. And lastly, we've got East Farthing Farmer. Two and a white for a 2-3 Halfling Peasant. Whenever this enters the battlefield, make a food token. And when you do, target creature you control gets plus one, plus one until end of turn for each food you control. Yeah, those are the same three that I have just in the exact flipped order. So I have Farmer first, Esquire second, and Hobbit Sting third. Those, those cards, that, that seemed pretty clear-ish to me that those are the three. I, I don't know what the order is. Like, I could see Esquire being number one, honestly. That card seems great, but it seem, seemed like the three to me. All right, moving on to the white uncommons. In the number one slot, I've got Shire Sheriff. It's one and a white for a 2-2 Vigilance, and when it ETBs, you can sacrifice a token. When you do, exile target creature and opponent controls until Shire Sheriff leaves the battlefield. And in the number two slot, I've got Samwise the Stouthearted. One and a white for a 2-1 legendary creature with flash. And when Samwise enters the battlefield, choose up to one target permanent card in your graveyard that was put there from the battlefield this turn. Return it to your hand and the ring tempts you. Yeah, I actually have two totally different ones, though I like both of yours as well. Uh, in my number one slot, I've got Eowyn, Lady of Rohan, two and a white for a 2-4. At the beginning of combat on your turn, target creature gains your choice of first strike or vigilance until end of turn. If that creature is equipped, it gains first strike and vigilance until end of turn instead, and equip ab- abilities you activate cost one less to activate. All that equipment nonsense is not what I'm interested in, but I am interested in three mana, two, four, something that's vigilance or first strike every turn. I think that's pretty sweet. Right, combat professor-esque there. Yeah, and then uh, number two, I've got that saga, Tale of Tanuvial. A little, little hopeful hot take ranking there. All right, moving on to the blue commons. What do you got? Uh, number one, I've got Glorious Gale. One in a blue for an instant. Counter target creature spell. If it was a legendary spell, the ring tempts you. Number two, I've got Athelian Kingfisher. Two and a blue for a 2-1 creature with flying. When Athelian Kingfisher dies, draw a card. And number three, Isolation at Orthanc. Three and a blue for an instant. 
put target creature into its owner's library, second from the top. Those are my three as well. I've got the Kingfisher in the number one slot ahead of Gale. I could see Gale being number one. I mean, again, that's pretty close. I yeah. do like Kingfisher a lot. There's going to be people like, well, this is an inspiring overseer. People are too high on it, blah, 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 blah. And I think that is certainly true. This is not inspiring overseer, but I do like Kingfisher as a premium ring bearer. Yeah, that's a really good point. But I also am really into blue red spells, which kind of makes me want Glorious Gale ahead of it. And it's <laughs> like Kingfisher's not great in blue red spells like that's probably the one blue deck that isn't going to be super interested in it so i, I don't know i kind of like kind of like gale at number one all right i kind of actually the more i think about it i kind of like gale then the the isolation or orthonk then the kingfisher maybe yeah i was i was having a, a hard time figuring out where the kingfisher fit in because i kept being like well it's not cloudkin seer like it, it draws a card when it dies not on etb and i was like yeah but it's still good i think like i don't want to knock it too much for not being cloudkin seer all right, moving on to the blue uncommons. The number one slot, I've got Gandalf, Friend of the Shire. This is three and a blue for a two, four with flash. You can cast sorcery spells as though they had flash. And when the ring tempts you, if you chose a creature other than Gandalf, Friend of the Shire as your ring bearer, draw a card. And in the number two slot, I've got Yorith of the Healing House, two and a blue for a one, four legendary creature. You can tap to untap another target permanent or tap to untap two other target legendary creatures. Yeah, I've also got Gandalf, Friend of the Shire, my number one slot. And my number two slot, another hot take. Got my stern scolding in there. Single blue for an instant. Counter target creature spell with power or toughness two or less. I like it. I You've you've 100% sold me on that card. And I saw that in your top blue uncommons. And I wanted to change mine. And I was like, nah, I'm going to let Ethan have his take. But <laughs> I, I'm sold. I'm a believer. Thanks, bud. Appreciate it. Uh, what's going on in your black commons? Number one, I've got Dunlin Crabane. This is two and a black for a one one with flying. And when ETBs, you amass orcs two. In the number two slot, I've got Claim the Precious. That's the one black black sorcery. Destroy target creature. The ring tempts you. And in the number three slot, I've got Mordor Muster. One and a black for a sorcery. You draw a card and you lose a life. And then you amass orcs one. Yeah, I just got the number one and two flipped. I gave the nod to the removal spell in the number one slot, but I could definitely see Dunland Creebane. I, I honestly had it there first, but I was like, is that too hot? Like, kill a thing, the ring tempts you is really good too. It is. Black Black's a bit of a knock. Sorcery's yeah. a bit of a knock. But if the ring tempts you is important, then claim's going to be real good. Uh, yeah, moving on to the uncommons. My number one is Bitter Downfall. Three and a black for an instant. Destroy target creature. Its controller loses two life. Uh, it costs three less to cast if it targets a creature that was dealt damage this turn. And my number two, I've got Oath of the Grey Host. I, I felt, I was like, am I, am I pulling the bend here? Am I putting too many four drops in my uh, my top <laughs> uncommons? Uh, Oath of the Grey Host is three and a black for a saga. Chapter one, you and target opponent each create a food token. Chapter two, each opponent loses three life, create a treasure token. Chapter three, create three tapped 1-1 white spirit creature tokens with flying. That card is really powerful. It's really powerful. It's very slow. But it's really powerful. I again, I feel like this card hits the battlefield, and you're if the game isn't over by the time they untap with the three white white spirits, I think you're in trouble. Why do all the spirits come into play tapped? Is that their attempt to nerf those cards, or is there some flavor reason? Probably both. Yeah, you're asking you're asking me about flavor. I don't know. I I want, almost put that card in my top uncommons. I ended up settling on Gollum Patient Plotter. Ooh, one in a black for a three one, and whenever it leaves the battlefield, the ring tempts you. 
and you can pay black sack a creature to return this from your graveyard to your hand. I think this card is going to be annoying as all get out to play against. Yeah. Because it's also a sacrifice outlet for your small armies and things like that. You're not going to want to block it because it comes back and it's going to ring tempt. I think this card's really good. Yeah, I agree with that. Moving on to red, my top commons. Number one, I've got Smite the Deathless. One on a red for an instant. Deal three to target creature. Creature loses indestructible until end of turn. And if it would die this turn, you exile it instead. Number two, I've got Rally at the Hornburg. This is one on a red for a sorcery. Create two 1-1 one, one white human soldier creature tokens. Humans you control gain haste until end of turn. And in my number three, this is maybe a nod to uh, thinking about this set like War of the Spark, Quarrels end two in a red for a sorcery as an additional cost to cast this spell, discard a card, draw two cards and create a one, one white human soldier creature token. Yeah, I love that effect. Yeah, that didn't make my top commons. I had the same one and two as you. And my number three is Haradrim Spearmaster. This is two in a red for a two, three with a reach. It's a human warrior. And at the beginning of combat on your turn, another target creature you control gets plus one plus O until end of turn. Yeah, that card seems sweet as well. Again, another like combat professor variant. All right, moving on to the red uncommons. What do you got? Uh, I've got four A of orcs in the number one slot, three and a red for a sorcery. Mass orcs two, and then when you do, four A of orcs deals X damage to target creature and opponent controls where X is the amassed army's power. And number two, I've got Fear Fire Foes. X in a red for the sorcery. Damage can't be prevented. Deals X to target creature and one damage to each other creature with the same controller. Yeah, that card's very good. I almost put that as my number two. I ended up settling on Ranger's Firebrand, mm. which is red for sorcery. Deals two damage to any target and the ring tempts you. Just getting that ring tempting going early and yeah. i have the same number one for of orcs that card's ridonculous green was really hard for me for top commons green was also very hard for me for top commons so what'd you end up settling on i did the dogs in the number one slot mushroom <laughs> watchdogs one in a green for a two two sacrifice a food put a plus and plus one counter on mushroom watchdogs gains vigilance until end of turn activate only as a sorcery the number two slot i put bombadil's song one in a green for an instant target creature control gets plus one plus one and gains hexproof until end of turn the ring tempts you Ooh. Ooh, that's a take it is but like that's a good card like i'm yeah. i'd be fine playing bombadil song and the ring tempts you is not stapled onto a lot of premium cards like mm, that i don't mm-hmm. think yeah that makes sense so that pushed me over the edge and then in the number three slot i have ents fury which is the fight spell one on a green sorcery put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control if its power is four or greater then that creature gets plus one plus one until end of turn and fights target creature you don't control. Yeah, I have the same two of the same three in different orders. Uh, I have Ents Fury, the fight spell in number three. I've got the the good dogs in number two. And I I made a hot take stance here with my many partings, aka a tune with ether, single green for a sorcery, search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle create a food token yeah i'd buy it yeah i, I don't know I, I i was thinking about putting the watchdogs in first i was thinking about like your kind of thought about i think there was a color maybe blue in one of the sets where you were like didn't really know what blue was doing so i sort of decided to put my top commons as like this thing so i almost also put i was like green is doing food so we're doing many partings watchdogs and the um the trick the plus two plus two or plus four plus four if you sack a food mm-hmm. um so I was like, maybe that's the, the triples. Green was was hard for me to evaluate. The other very weird thing about green, again, because we grade the cards, if you're looking along in the spreadsheet, we grade the cards in order of mana value. Green has hardly any top end at common. Like there's there's like four one mana spells in green and then like six or seven two mana spells. 
it's just a lot of cheap stuff. Green green was hard for me to figure out. I had a lot of synergy grades, diminishing return grades. Maybe it's just weak. I don't know. Well, and well, the archetypes pull you in different directions too, right? right? Green white is food. Green red is doing like the big creatures thing where the the fight spell will be good there and the three mana four two will be good there. But then green blue is doing the elves aggro scrying like dogs isn't going to be good in that deck. And then green black graveyard stuff plus food like dogs will probably still be a great card in green black. Mm-hmm. So watchdogs hits two out of the four. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's tough. Yeah. And then what you, what'd you end up doing for the uncommons? Two classics. I got Mariadoc Brandybuck in one and Peregrine Took in number two. You can't have one without the other. So Mariadoc Brandybuck is the 2-2. Whenever you attack with one or more halflings, you control attack a player, create a food token, and Peregrine Took lets you load up on the food tokens. Two and a green for a 2-3. If one or more food tokens would be one or more tokens would be created under your control, those tokens plus an additional food token are created instead, and you can sacrifice three foods to draw a card. We're just calling them Marion Pippin from now on, right? Marion Pip? Okay, uh, I have Pippin number two as well, and my number one is the the trampling overrunning tree folk quick beam upstart ent. Whew. Yeah, and maybe that's a hot take. I don't know. That card just seems busted to me. Um, but but I but green was was hard for me to to latch onto. I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's because it lasts always, and just just don't uh, don't know what's going on with it. But yeah, that's I think the most lined up we've ever been for top commons. Thirteen of the fifteen we had the same cards for. Either we're either we're experiencing what's it called? Not groupthink, echo chamber, a Lords of Limited echo chamber, or we're getting better at evaluating cards, or both, <laughs> or, or or we chilled on the hot takes, or we had too many hot takes. I don't know. You figure it out, listeners. Yeah, you'll you'll have to let us know. Any any parting thoughts before we uh, we get to the Shire next week? And we haven't even talked about this yet. There's early access on Thursday. You better believe I am going to be streaming all day. This is going to be maybe the first time ever that I'm going to be able to devote the day to early access, and it is going to be happening. Love to see it. Yeah, so we'll be doing some drafts there. Definitely going to be doing a, a little bit of uh, LGS pre-release action this weekend, and then we'll come come to you next week with our, our very early thoughts before we dive in with everybody on Arena on next Tuesday. Yeah, I am looking forward to this format. I think the couple practice drafts I did – it really seems driven by the gold uncommons, the good gold uncommons, right? Because there are some also not so good gold uncommons, but like a lot of the two mana ones are primo and just building a, a synergy deck around your two color stuff. But I also think if you aren't doing that very well, you're going to risk losing to a lot of the just randomly derpy creatures running around that are four mana four fours and five mana four fives or five fours or whatever. Like there's just some arbitrarily large stuff too. Well, and also I think like the ring tempts you is so snowball-y. Like that gets going. The first player to start doing that, they're just going to have such, you know, ownership over the top of their library, over the cards that they're drawing, and then potentially over dealing you damage. Like I think that's going to be, this set looks fairly aggressive to me with all of that. Yeah, I I would buy all of that for sure. All right. Is that my cue? I, I don't know. You tell me. Yeah, I, I will call it there. Great place to wrap <laughs> us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thanks so much to Cool Stuff, Inc. for sponsoring this podcast. If you're looking for a place to buy anything and everything magic-related on the internet, please head on over to Cool Stuff. And when you do, check out using code LOL, all caps, to let them know we sent you over there and to get 5% off your purchase. You can check all of our stuff out on our website at lordsoflimited.com. There's links to our YouTube channel, links to our respective streams. We've got our updated 
new tier list courtesy of Ben for uh, Lord of the Rings Tales of Middle Earth. That's up there as well, as well as some merch. So all good stuff happening over at lordsoflimited.com. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. has more legendary creatures and a sacrifice component and the ring helps you splash a bit more than why is that i have no idea that's what it said online no i'm not saying that okay <laughs> it has to say that second sentence with a I, more finalized punctuation. I, you, you know i do <laughs>